0: episode one welcome to for the kudos chasing paris with phil sesman and mark scott two guys that you will get to know very very well over the next 12 13 weeks or so we've had the introduction episode so if you do want to familiarize yourself with the boys and myself go back listen to that that's out now to catch up on but uh Mark and Phil, in case you didn't know, based over in Kenya at the moment, warm weather training, altitude training, whatever you want to call it, this time of year, preparing for their marathons. Um, but gents, how are we? We've had a week in Kenya now. Last time we spoke, I think you're probably just a little bit jet lagged. But uh, yeah, what's new? How's the last week or so gone?
1: Yeah, it's it's been alright. Kind of um, been here just over a week now, starting to settle into the altitude a little bit. It was pretty challenging for a few days and taking maybe a couple of risks with the training and stuff and just trying to kind of settle in a little bit, but uh, starting to feel like I'm I'm acclimatizing a little bit now.
2: Mark, same for you? Yeah, same for me. I've not um, jumped into things quite as deep as Phil has. Obviously, Phil's on quite a shorter timescale compared to me. Um, So yeah, with that said, I'm still adjusting. It takes a lot of time up up here in Kenya just because it is so high and um, I think people do forget that quite early on, but it's going well. Yeah, we're just uh, one step at a time. Still got over four weeks of the camp left. So, but yeah, just a nice thing.
0: Phil, you mentioned taking risks. What what risks have you took in this first week? Like are you straight, are you sessioning? Um, and again, like, yeah, when would you look to do, you know, your first hard effort uh, up at Kenya? Uh,
1: so we landed Wednesday around... 10 o'clock in the morning, we landed in Eldoret uh, after traveling kind of overnight on the Tuesday. Just got into it pretty much straight away. Saturday was doing a pretty hard long run, kind of with the plans to try and go 30k, went 25k at 320 per k on um, like an undulating route, but good tarmac surface. And then probably kind of tried to go with with the training group a little bit too much on the easy run and, and had to pull those back a little bit um over the last few days and definitely felt like that's kind of freshened me up a little bit. And I was straight into a leg on Tuesday. So that's probably day six up here. Um so yeah, pretty much just straight into the training and just trying to kind of like I'm fully aware, I've only got six weeks um or five and a half now until Seville Marathon. So it's not really one where I can kind of ease into things and just take long longer approach that maybe Mark can do. Um I've got to be a little bit more aggressive and, and hopefully it pays off.
0: That is very much all or nothing. I mean, how many you know, weeks of the year or months, shall I say, have you spent up at altitude? Because do you think that makes a difference that you can hit the ground running a little bit quicker if you've spent, you know, four or five months at altitude the past, out of the past 12 or so?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think I, I did three weeks in Kenya last January. And then I basically did three, three week altitude camps in May, no, actually, June. August and then September at Font Rameau. But Font Rameau is a lot lower than this. And you kind of get hit with like, you get hit on all sides in Kenya because it's hot, it's hilly, all the roots, it's uneven surfaces, and it's really, really high. Uh, and just where we're staying, kind of, we start with this massive hill every run. So every run, you just feel like death from the start. Um, so maybe actually towards the end of the runs, that's when you actually feel your best and, and it's quite nice. But that first kind of 2k you're just questioning like your life choices and just wondering whether this is really what you want to do um, when you're like barely going nine minute mile in up a kind of incline uh, just to start like an easy turn mile you're just thinking oh what am i doing
0: i'm excited to delve more into the kenya setup actually that you boys have got because i'm not sure many listeners would have been over there and experienced you know what running in kenya is like um mark talk us through those living conditions at the moment mate obviously a little bit different to uh to london
2: yeah of course it's a little different and that's what you have to prepare yourself for before you're coming out here just the one big difference is the food um and that's what we all have noticed we struggled with a bit in the past because this is phil's been up here three times and this is my second time and i was aware last year like the meat over here is pretty scarce so it's hard to come by so it's just um it's like bringing your own protein and things like that, and it's the little things which make a lot of difference out here. And if if you're under in week one, you're not going to get any better through the next three four weeks of your camp. So that was one thing. um It's just the little things, even like taking malaria tablets and stuff um mm-hmm. because of the mosquitoes and things like that. It's it's little things you don't think about, and all the vaccinations and stuff you have to get before coming out here. Um, the the good thing about where we're currently staying is it's owned and operated by a, a European. Um so they they know what we like and what we want to expect when we come to camp. So um they do make it feel a bit more homely for us. Um, and yeah, the main the main thing for us is just yeah, fueling and, and resting, making sure we have somewhere comfortable to stay on a night, because you can slum it and you can go and stay for £20 a month uh, on doing and, and we don't come to camp to get ill. We come to train and, and get fit and make sure we're we're coming away uh, in good shape.
0: Twenty pounds a month, you say?
2: It's crazy. Yeah, you could probably even find cheaper than that. Um, that's usually just for your just for like your room somewhere somewhere mm. for you to stay. But you can think that the bathroom situation is not going to be. It, it's a hole in the ground where multiple people use so it's not something like we want to be using um mm. but yeah kenya's cheap if you want to slum it then you can, you can come try it
0: and how much are you boys uh paying for your accommodation at the moment because you get you've got everything included right all all food included meals are cooked for you is
2: that yeah, right exactly. Yeah, exactly it's full board for us so um we're looking at it's around 30 euros per night um for your bed and mm-hmm. and your stay for your stay and all the food included yeah and mm-hmm. then there's obviously washing facilities we have a gym here so we've got we've got everything we need
0: that's perfect man what, um, that's the thing because Mark was messaging me, he was like, What are you up to in January? You can always come out to Kenya, and I was like, Kenya's not quite as easy as getting on a flight and getting out there. Um, because like, what, what vaccinations did you boys need to have pre coming out? If you've had them once, do you need to get them again? Like, do you need to get them every year you, you go? Uh,
1: I can't actually remember. I know that you get yellow fever, and that one lasts for like your lifetime, it should do. Right. Um, and then you can get like a rabies vaccination and then you just want to make sure that you're up to date with like typhoid and uh tetanus as well um but yeah it does it the first year you come out here it does add up and then kind of this year it was just a case of just buying the malarial tablets which is about mm. 100 quid for kind of a 34-day trip uh so it's not cheap and these mm. things you do have to kind of consider um
0: yeah have you had any dodgy tummies out there before, Phil? Whenever I speak to people who go to Kenya, I think their first time, they always, there's always a two or three day
1: period where, you know, they're they're in bed for a few days. Yeah, the first year my guts were pretty bad at one point. Um, and that was pretty grim. Like I remember just kind of yeah, nothing was solid. Coming out for a few. Days and I still wanted to train, so I went down and, and started kind of a 20 by 400 session off one minute and Got through the first rep but just thought, nah, this ain't happening. And then tried jumping in the second rep after the boys came round after 50 meters and pulled out of that one 200 meters later and then just sat there on the start of the track and waited for them to finish and decided that day that they were going to do them off two minutes and do 30. So that was a really long morning in the sun. Um, so, yeah, it can be a little bit rough out here. And obviously when you haven't been eating properly or or your stomach's not been absorbing the stuff, then the energy levels just drop completely. and. Um, I had a pretty grotty long run that that weekend kind of I think I got dropped and the Mutatus are ahead the the vans that take us to the runs and follow us alongside so even though I wanted to get in the van at six mile I had to finish and get to 20 mile before I could get picked up so uh yeah that was a bit of searching of the soul and, and kind of questioning what am i doing out here and uh so definitely each year I've just been a lot more careful what about eating. Eating and Mm. I don't really touch anything that's not been cooked, so I won't touch the salads Uh, yeah, pretty much just if it's not been cooked, I'm not eating
0: it. Oh, really? I was going to say, what do you think causes it? Um, yeah, maybe you're on something there. He cooked things. Um, let's talk about that dynamic then. You know, you talk about uh, the little cars, uh, the minivans and stuff, and how you get back from a run because. It is, is it quite scary setting off with these, I've seen you boys have already been linking up with a few groups and stuff, um, setting off with these big old groups and they just sort of run, they just run, don't they? Like aimlessly um, to nowhere. And if you do get dropped and you don't know the way, have you found yourself like before just isolated, just being like, how the hell
1: do I get home? Yeah, that's only happened once for me uh, where I've really just thought like, oh man, like, I wish I was in the van right now and, I've just got to keep running and the stores felt like they were completely depleted and it was just a case of just finish the run and just try and recover the next few days. But generally, you, if you're training with a group and there's a Mutatu, um, which is like a minibus that takes us to the training, they'll be alongside and there might be a coach or someone in there who's, who's helping us with the fueling. And in that case, if you feel like you're done, you just kind of jump in the Mutatu and that's your run done and you just watch everyone else's we're driving along at kind of 520 or 530 miling and you're just watching the session go ahead that you've already bailed out of. And yeah, it's a little bit rough kind of when that's happening. And one of my training partners, one of the other guys out here, um, we were i of training with back in Leeds, Vinny. He was kind of saying it's a weird dynamic where you're really hurting, but there's just this van that you can just jump into at any moment, Um, which you kind of don't really have at home. You, you might yeah. be like five miles from home in the long run. So you've just got to finish, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of the mental battle just to keep going is is quite tough. And you just, just got to kind of, all right, just play like mind games with yourself, like don't get in yet. Or, or just, um but you also don't want it to be ahead of you when, when you do want to get in. Otherwise, yeah, you, you're pretty spent for the next 5K or so.
0: So Mark, the van will just go with the quickest person in the group, basically.
2: It does, yeah. Um And the majority of the group will stay together anyway. So it often it will be those who are not used to the altitude or have maybe a, a slight variation on their session, which they don't want to fully commit to. Because um, obviously the program's written for these these top guys, these top Kenyans who are in the group, and mm. we are kind of just like extras. Yeah, so often the the sessions we're doing are not written specifically for us. So they're, they're for the top Kenyan guys in the groups. Um, we're, we're just extras. Mm-hmm. so if, you, if you're getting dropped pretty early then it's the van you might not see it for three four miles um and then it'll come back and check on you maybe give you some fluids and then off it goes up the road again and you might not see it for another three four miles again um so yeah it's it, it's pretty daunting at times just out on that road on your own um and the main thing is just try not get dropped <laughs> that's the, that's the only advice
1: would you are you
0: boys going to ever do, you know, go off on your own and, and do like, a, if you've got a session or a long run, would you very much get involved in a group where you know there is a van? Because you're probably not in a position where you could coordinate a van for yourself, or are you? Uh,
1: no, we could do. We definitely could do. And say, like last year when I was out here, there was a lot more Brits and stuff. So I, we did lots of training Jack Rowe, mm. uh, Abdi, Paulos, Ben Connor there's a lot more guys and, and we've trained with some swiss guys we with some germans just we've kind of coordinated ourselves um whereas now i'm jumping in with kind of a emil's training group um, mm. which is renato canova's training group and jumping in with their sessions and stuff um so for me the benefit of training with the group is is pretty important um and i'm going to stick at it for kind of as long as possible and if i do feel like yeah i'm not getting the specific stuff in that i personally need or maybe it's just that little bit too sharp for me then we'll probably kind of pull back a little bit and coordinate a van and and sort out ourselves really Mm. so have
0: you got these uh these van drivers on speed dial mark
2: i mean that's the thing you just make a make a, a connection with one of them um and then they're, they're they're not going to be going anywhere for the next year. So once you've got the contacts, it's pretty it's pretty good. And even the little picky pickies, the motorbikes, um, mm. they're flying around all day. There's there's hundreds of them. Um, so it's good to establish a relationship with those guys and just send them a text. And two minutes later, they're at, they're at the gate waiting to pick you up. So yeah, it's it's pretty good. Just obviously knowing that we've got the the money to pay these guys pretty well, um, yeah. and they I've really. It is. They they like they like taking us around, and it's it's the same as the picky pickies is with the matatus the vans. So it, it's pretty nice. You can get anywhere um, pretty easily. Yeah,
0: I've heard. Uh, I, I know when you came out last year, Mark, and, and Ben was saying like uh, you know they'd always be those picky pickies are just driving up and down the road looking for a white guy coming off the back of a group, take them home. Um, you know, so are you, have you always got to carry cash out there.
2: That's the thing, yeah, yeah. We 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 don't usually set off with without cashing in the little zip pockets in our shorts. Um, mm-hmm. Just knowing if you do get stranded on a run or you don't feel quite so good or
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, you, you're doing a bit different to someone else that day, it's, you just stop on the side of the road, or you just flag them down and jump on the back and off you go back home. Um, that is the beauty of this place. You can finish a run miles away and you know you you, you know you're guaranteed to get on pretty quickly.
1: Mm-hmm yeah i always personally find it quite funny the way that we quite happily like jump on the back of these picky piggies these motorbikes without a helmet and just kind of hold on and (laughs) there might be two or three of us on there and it's going on these like dirt roads that are really rocky and the main roads are like pretty dangerous with people going down the wrong side of the road or uh people just pulling off and not indicating and yet when we go back home like most of us probably wouldn't go on a road bike without um a helmet and i guess in australia i think it's illegal not to cycle without a helmet on um so it's always just that funny dynamic of like we're a lot more like risk adverse in the uk and like i'd never go in a car without wearing a seatbelt back at home but in here you just jump in the back of a tattoo that's taking some pretty hairy risks (laughs) on the way home from training but no one's got a seatbelt on and no one's even like anxious at the fact that this guy is going 70 mile an hour on the wrong side of the road it's yeah
0: it's just a weird dynamic isn't it it's just like uh life is just very different it slows down i guess you're in an environment where you've got no choice and you see other people do it as well um and and these picky pickies they're not they're not uber prices are they like how much how much you have
1: to put by to to get one of these things generally if you're in it um you're just doing like maybe from the finisher run back to our accommodation that's probably a mile or so we'll mm. probably pay like hundred Kenyan shillings which this year the exchange rate that's about 50p um if you're feeling generous you might give a little bit more uh but you could definitely get it for cheaper if you push them but mm. kind of you always just feel like well it's 50p that's that's a fairly reasonable amount not to have mm. to walk up a, a rocky one mile hill <laughs>
0: oh fair enough fair enough right let's uh let's probably just you know move on to a little bit of the training part this is typically how we will look to start most episodes going forward is just update you guys um the listeners on on the lads training over the last week like I said we've you know recently in kenya now um giving us a good background to the landscape but uh but you know phil you mentioned already you got landed tuesday um hit the ground running and you know you're straight in on a decent long run on saturday i think i saw some footage of that as well in with mill. what was uh you know 25k at i can't remember the pace you said but um you recovered all right off of that uh no not really i
1: was pretty <laughs> knackered for a few days um had to do a, fair, a bit of jogging after that and to take it a little bit easier and just reduce the volume a little bit on the easy days um but yeah we're running at kind of 320k pace which is fairly comparable to what I've been able to do out here in the past um so that was kind of yeah fairly reasonable day three or so so pretty aggressive getting in on it fairly early but it was only 25k which is like 15 and a half miles and we've kind of discussed out here like what actually merits a long run and whether 15 miles does a long run in marathon training and i'm not sure it does so yeah maybe i need to relabel that one
0: mark any any opinions on that what what merits the long run for you not my uh i'll typically run with mark on a sunday and i'll probably be lucky if i get 10 done <laughs> and i'm like yeah sunday long run with the boys mm-hmm. um what merits the long run mark
2: as a long run for you but um (laughs) the thing is yeah we we it's hard to quantify if we're gonna go time based or we're going distance and i think Mm -hmm. i think we kind of settled at a 15 mile was was it was about a long run um obviously it's probably more for a long run for me in these early stages than it is for phil right now um and some of the other guys so yeah i've just done I haven't been as aggressive with these long runs as such as Phil. I'm mainly going like a time on feet rather than mileage at the minute. So that's kind of the way I'm just building the program. Um, Just with a lot more time that I can, I can be a bit careful and not hammer 25, 30 K on day three of of an altitude trip.
0: Mm, Good point. Um, One thing I was going to ask you lads is what, I see some crazy stats coming out of Kenya um from you know not just you boys but people who have been out in there in the past that we know. Um what's like the conversion out there per, per K or per mile? Have you have you typically got that locked now? You've done a few camps out there, you know if you're running three twenty Ks, that's equivalent to three ten K's or is it is it worth more? Do you roughly know that, Phil? To
1: be honest, no like a, we usually think maybe like 10 seconds a mile altitude I generally hmm. kind of work off but I think it really is like dependent on just, just like how you're pushing when you're up here kind of when we run a Moyben road which is one of the long tarmac roads here it's pretty downhill in one direction so sometimes you'll do a long run where you'll go 20k out and then you'll plan to come 20k or, or 10k back and you're finishing at a lower elevation so then the conversion is slightly different there and whereas other times um you might even finish at like a high point on the course so you're actually finished like higher than than you started at and yeah you kind of got to give yourself a few more seconds there um I just try and work out that the way I look at it is I went there and I I worked really hard for an hour and a half so whatever kind of that pace is equivalent to yeah, I don't yeah I would have been really pressing to run at that effort level at home
0: mm. and I guess one thing uh, probably neither of you have at home is these massive you know that that massive group that you're running with and and that makes things feel easier
1: right yeah it does do it does do um especially when kind of you're one of the weaker ones and you're not having to take huge turns on the front or any turns on the front um and it's definitely kind of inspirational just to think, okay, well, these guys are around two five, two six, two seven. Like That's where I want to be. So these are the guys that I need to train with um, in order to pull me along. But I'm really fortunate in Leeds. Like I've got good training partners mm. who are consistent with their training. Um, they're happy to compromise in sessions just like I am. And I've also got a very good coach and other kind of coaches at the Leeds Talent Hub who are able to jump on bikes and stuff. So you can train really well there. And um, yeah, obviously that is quite an advantage. Mm.
0: And Mark, this is a nice opportunity for you going away on camps. Cause I was just thinking, you know, bar linking up with a few of the lads on a Sunday, you have been training solo for a little while now. So, you know, these camps, you see them as a good opportunity to mix in with, with people like Phil said, those two or five, two or six guys that you can kind of get to train with. And are you going to plan to
2: link up with any of the NN squad while you're out here, Mark? yeah that's that's the beauty of this place is we've just got so many people at our disposal who like a big amount of time and those big volume sessions it's pretty it's pretty tough for some people um but that is the beauty here you you've got so many people at your disposal who can who can mm-hmm. they can hammer a long run with you any day of the week because that's that's what they're used to doing um and if you can't find anyone it's quite easy to to pay people out here you can you can literally give them fifty p a pound or promise them a pair of shoes at the end of camp and they'd be willing to pace you most days that that's kind of how it is out here and they they don't have jobs so they're, they're looking for money and they're looking for training kits so they can pursue their dreams as well um but yeah that that's the that's the thing of coming out here even just with the five brits who are here together right now with with and phil and emile and co um it's just it's nice to not do the training on your own um mm-hmm. And yeah, our schedules vary a little bit, but we can we can mix in a lot when when we want. Obviously, we're we're all going out for doubles pretty much together, which is nice. And there's a little bit of variation on the morning, but we're making it work really nice. So um, yeah, for me, I've, I've I have been in touch with um, my agent and stuff who um, are looking to get me just to go and experience the camp in Cap-t-Gat. um not necessarily to train because um, at the same time, I don't want to disrupt their camp but because everyone's on on board with with their marathon plan so just even to go and see how they live how they train and kind of just takes something away from that is is probably what i'll look to do when i am here just because it's only 30 minutes away from it 10 um there's no there's no plans to link in session wise but um because i've got all the guys here um mm. and yeah so that's that's what we're going to look to do
0: I'm working towards a slightly different schedule are they what they were working towards—it's it's quite strict. The NN, isn't it? Getting getting involved um, with those guys and Patrick saying, if you're not on that that marathon plan, they start. That you know, and a day one of sixteen weeks, um, you know, it's hard to to really jump in with the group at any point.
2: It is, yeah. That and that's a difficult thing. Um, Patrick was open to me joining in the camp and being with the group, but it was one of those things where I have to commit for a full full in um, and that's not something i really wanted to do for my first marathon um obviously we've talked about the paces like phil maybe said around 10 seconds but i think that's a little a little too slim i, w- I would probably push to more like 20-25 seconds is probably a difference per mile for me um just on my like knowledge of altitude training and i've done it for the past six years with up to like five six months a year so um i feel yeah this this place is one of the toughest i've ever done a camp at um and that's why I said that. Say those paces may differ a little more, but yeah, um, he is strict. Um, he's very like specific of who he wants in a group, um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. He wants to protect the athletes he's got, um, and I think it is. It does get a little divided with the different marathons they're targeting, because um, obviously, mm. in the spring, so. mm. And
0: just quickly, mate, would you? if you were to get involved in that group at any point is it very much you have to like the rest of them turn up on a monday morning like you're reporting to you know for duty and and you can't leave till do you get saturday afternoons off and sunday with the family is that is that how it would work
2: that is how it would work yeah um and for me it 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 might be nice to do a sunday run on your own and and kind of just take a little, little bit of a break i'm not some of them run, some of them don't run on a Sunday. I think it's kind of personal preference. It's kind of up to you what you want to do on that Sunday, but that is your day to to get ready, yeah, and report again for another another brutal six days, pretty much. Mm. Um, it would be something I would be interested in doing um, in the future, but to commit for for four months is mm. is a difficult ask, and that's kind of what puts me off right now.
0: Yeah, I think especially what's the longest you've you've had at altitude.
2: Mar- uh, um i've done i've done 10 weeks uh in the u.s in parks at utah uh, 10 11 weeks um that is with coming in and out with racing um maybe a quick trip like over to the uk for british champs and then and then straight back but um it, it becomes long and even to stick another four or five weeks on top of that it would be it would be difficult and especially up here in kenya
0: yeah i guess you know, ten eleven weeks in Park City is a little bit different to ten eleven weeks in in Kenya. <laughs> um yeah, there is there's yeah, no exactly way i going
1: to be, be able to do that. What's the longest like, you've got me? Phil? I think I've done twenty eight days, maybe twenty seven. Mm. Um, yeah, four weeks is I, I get a little bit homesick, kind of thing, and I I just need to get over kind of the first half of the trip, and then I can start kind of counting down the days. But yeah, I I kind of struggle with it a little bit and. To be really honest, like I, I really like being in Leeds. I like training there. Like I love running with my dogs. I love running with the boys there and stuff. So, yeah, I quite like looking forward to going home. And I'm only here for the training benefit of being at altitude. Like I, I would be in Leeds if if there was no way I could go in the winter for altitude. I would just be in Leeds training, and I'd be quite happy doing that.
0: Do you think there are some gains lifestyle wise though. You sort of, I guess, tidy up your lifestyle a little bit in Kenya in theory
1: yeah but then i do think being at home you've got all like i've got my coach i've got the Mm. physio true i've got my partner i've got her support i've got the dogs which i love training with Mm. um love spending my time with so yeah to me i can like actually my, my last two marathon training blocks i've kind of gone altitude early done like a three or four week trip and then i've done about 10 to eight weeks in leeds at sea level and really hit the training hard and The only reason we kind of changed it this time around was we just thought, well, it's going to be January, so it's going to be pretty hard to train. And maybe the altitude was kind of, that could be the difference to make that 39 seconds that I'm missing and I need to make up.
0: Yeah. I guess there's less risk not going to altitude so close to race day, but then in your you know, state now there's there's more reward um, if you get it right as well. Mate, mean, let's introduce the dogs because I'm sure we're going to see them later on in the show. Um, just talk to viewers about your dogs because they get some serious mileage in. Who's who's walking, running, you know, running with those pups while you're away?
1: Uh, well, my partner, Jess, will be at home and so she'll be walking them most days. And then um, this time it's Jensen Connell from Leeds City and Leeds Beckett. So he used to be at very royal, like Cheshire boy. And he's at the moment taking over their running um, responsibilities. I think I've had Josh Dickinson has been kind of the the consistent guy over the years, but he's now over at Boise State, so he hasn't been able to do it. Um, it's been a bit of a shame. And then I've had a few other people kind of dropping in and out and helping out. But Jensen's the guy at this, this training block. And
0: what are their names? Hi and Kipchoge? Is it, am I right?
1: Yeah, so... I've got my two and a half year old German short hair pointer that's highly after Gabby Selassie. And she's the one who just absolutely loves the running kind of thing. Like she will do all the steady running and she would happily do kind of like 520 miles Sunday runs and just be kind of sprinting all over the place, chasing squirrels and stuff and, and just getting on with it. And then I've got Kit Chogi, who's five and a half years or five years old now. And she's a Spaniel biz lacrosse. She's a little bit less keen on the miles and She's the one where you kind of got to entice her off the sofa and if you leave the front door open when you're getting ready to go for a run, she'll run back inside and get in the sofa and you got to kind of tell her like, no, 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 come on, it's, it's time for training and let's go. And she's a little bit more kind of steady on her running and I don't take her for steady runs anymore just because she sandbags a little bit too much and it just gets a little bit annoying
0: mate they do they rack up some miles like you know how many miles do you think they get in
1: uh the three weeks over christmas i was running kind of one thirties, and i reckon i wasn't doing that much quality so they were probably 90 plus each of those weeks uh so they were uh, like pushing some good numbers those weeks and um yeah most weeks it was probably a little bit less and i'm doing a little bit more quality they obviously don't do the track sessions and they don't do the marathon specific long runs but I couldn't tell you the last time I went on an easy run without them.
0: Wow, mate, that's that's serious mileage for. They must be the world's fittest dogs. Um, right, enough bad dogs. Let's move on. Uh, one topic I wanted to discuss is the well, the theme of the episode. I've only just got round to sort of saying now was mapping out the marathon. So when you decide, um, well, firstly, how you decide what marathon you're going to run, and then mapping out that training. What are those discussions like with your coach? But firstly, you know, the series is called Chase in Paris. I thought it would be a good um, time to chat about why does the Olympics, I mean, I suppose it's obvious a little bit, but why does it hold so much value when athletes like yourselves, like you two, you probably admit that the world champs marathon doesn't excite you. So what is it about the Olympic marathon that really kind of turns you on
1: and everyone wants to be involved in? I think it's probably because it's kind of once every four years and it's just a huge multi-sport event that really is kind of really big in public life. And everyone knows about it. Everyone knows it's going on. There's a huge build up, obviously being British and us having kind of 2012, like the bid winning and maybe 2005, 2007. And then the build up to that when I was younger, that was all pretty big. And I think for me, to be honest, it's, it's because it's just, it's just that level of anything I ever thought I'd be able to get to in running. And now knowing that maybe it's a realistic shot, it just makes me really, really want to get there. Mark?
2: Yeah, exactly. For me, it, it's the pinnacle of the spot, isn't it? And I think um, for someone to say they've been to the Olympics to the, to the average draw on the street is actually really impressive. I don't um, that makes you you feel a lot more special as well, just knowing you know they they value that. Um, yeah, and to say you've lined up against some of the some of the all time greats in the Olympic marathon is is something that not many people can say. Um, so yeah, I feel like that that is why um, it's got a lot of lot of hype around it. Just it takes it comes around once every four years, and that that hype just builds every year. And now we're here in twenty twenty four. It's something every athlete dreams.
0: Mark, did you, did obviously you went to Tokyo? I mean, how, what was your experience like there? Being in Tokyo, did that make you hungrier to go to, I won't call it a proper Olympics, because obviously Tokyo was a proper Olympics, but an Olympics that you can experience, um, that you kind of, that we knew growing up, you know, we we're sport in 2012 of what a superb Olympics should look like. Um, and so is that, is that kind of driving you now, trying to, trying to get that qualification for Paris?
2: Yeah. And I think, obviously, Paris, it's special because um, it only comes around once every four years. And and that's the pinnacle of the sport and what we're all all looking to achieve. I think a lot of people, to say they've been to to the Olympics, that's one thing they want to get out of the sport. And they could retire happy and be like, I've done what I set out. Um, And obviously, it's massive, the Um, multi-sports. It's just a great competition to be involved with.
0: What was Tokyo like? Um, you know, walking away from Tokyo. What were your what were your feelings like when you when you left and you got on the plane home after that competition?
2: Yeah, um, I mean the thing was for me they they were literally shipping people out within twenty four hours of the last event. So yeah, obviously doing a double, I did the ten k, five k, and after uh, yeah after the last day, four hours. After, to the village and they're like, This is your flight time, like get ready to leave pretty much. There's no big after parties or anything like that. and um, there was no going to watch any other sports, which was a big shame. And obviously the main thing with no one in the stadium to watch and cheer you on. So um hoping obviously getting to Paris will be a lot different. Um, but yeah, it was obviously you can still say you've been to the Olympics that you're never mm-hmm. gonna have that taken away from you. But just the whole experience, everyone was kind of a, a bit lackluster, really. It was just a bit like We've done all this work for the past four years, not able to showcase um, our true potential to to everyone there. And even the small things about going, like, just talk about venture to the city and see all the sites and kind of do those things which you would love to do.
0: Mm. And, Mark, when. You know, I guess this you you have an incredible five k. You're a European record holder, twelve fifty seven in that distance. But as the standards and the qualifying process just seem to get harder and harder over the past few years to qualify for Worlds, qualify for Olympics, did that kind of push you to move to the marathon sooner than you would have liked? Or you know, where did the kind of marathon move? Where that spark come from?
2: Yeah, for me, that came well. Obviously, we had the the big year um, for the guys in Europe. Um, and in the Commonwealth, we had the worlds, the Commonwealths, and the Europeans all coming, coming around in the same year. Um, and for me going into, going into that was, was going to be difficult and trying to map out the right place and when to peak and which race to do here and which race to do there. So for me, none of them, three competitions went particularly well. Um, my best one would be fourth place at Commonwealth games coming, literally coming off the back of COVID, not even, not even knowing if I was going to be able to race, um. And just being a bit deflated from those three races um, kind of gave me, yeah, a bit. I just wanted a bit more energy and a bit more spark coming into the running. Um, just running around the track, getting hammered around the track by the Bauman guys it was, yeah. It's it's great when it's going well, but when it's not going well, it, it's pretty difficult. Um, so yeah, I just wanted a spark bit of potential on the roads for for the marathon even if it was to do a couple of halves and then jump into a marathon in a couple of years. Yeah. I just wanted a bit of change of stimulus. Um, and that's kind of where, where it's come from really.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. And we'll, I think we'll get onto more about that, that Bauman group in, in episodes down the line, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, you identify what matter you doing. I mean, Phil, um, we're allowed to discuss, you know, you are committed to Seville, what does it look like? You know, do you sit down with a coach and map out the training? Do you let the, you know, do you let Andy back home just completely map the next eight, you know, 10 weeks out? Um, I think it was from from Valencia. And, you know, how do you go about including races in, in your preparation Seville? Are you going to race at all uh, between now and Seville? What's the,
1: yeah, what's the score? So I won't race. I definitely find of down for a marathon block is where I can get the most fitness out of myself and I don't really see the need to kind of put a race in I think if if there was like a road relay or something like that then I might jump in one of those and they're pretty fun and relaxed days and you can just get like a hard hit out where the pace doesn't really matter that much but you can just kind of run for something a little bit more than just yourself you can run for your teammates and your friends and I quite enjoy that but I tend to not race too much in the marathon build-ups. Generally, they just don't go very well for me if I do race. Um, I think in the build-up to Valencia, I really targeted the big half and I ended up running 64.45-ish, uh, which was a long way off the pace that I was hoping to run at Valencia and ended up being a long way off the pace that I did run at Valencia. Um, so, yeah, I definitely kind of feel like a, a nice 10-week block of mileage and marathon-specific work is what gives me really fittest. In terms of working with my coach Andy Henderson, he's been coaching me for over a decade now, and we have a really good kind of collaborative approach to the training. And a lot of it will be, I'll kind of write the program, and I'll come up with some ideas. I'll send it over to him. There'll be a bit of back and forth. We'll settle on what program we want to do, and then we try and stick to it. But honestly, I think in the Valencia builder probably changed every week. That just Okay, I'm a little bit tired. Let's just push back. Or uh, I've got this training partner for that day. Or it's going to be really windy on this day. So let's just move the sessions around and just just tinkering all the time. Like uh, it's probably what I spend most of my time doing is looking at my training program and just thinking, okay, well, how can I just optimize this? How can I make this better? Just to make sure that I'm doing everything that I need to do to kind of be ready on marathon day. And i really enjoyed doing that. I really like looking at the training and planning it and having my coach being able to kind of support me and and bounce the ideas off. And generally with him, it's kind of saying like, no, that's too much. That's too much. And no, just ease off a little bit. And I also kind of get a bit of guidance from Emil as well. Um, He's kind of really well educated and really well read up on his training philosophy and his ideas and, having him being a training partner of mine for the last three four five years or so he's got a fairly good idea of what can work for me and it's also nice having someone kind of can be able to like sit back a little bit and just say well that's a stupid idea or actually yeah keep going with that and keep pressing so that's generally the way that that I work here with my training and uh and just yeah kind of this block is is very much a case of get as much of training in as possible and play it week by week, especially with the altitude and kind of the recovery off Valencia. You kind of the body felt pretty good fairly quickly. So we were able to get back on it fairly soon. And we don't write down everything kind of thing. We've got a fairly good idea of what we want to do between now and February 18th. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not kind of set in stone at all.
0: Could you operate personally
1: without having
0: you know quite a firm grip on your training without having that ownership do you think you could have a
1: relationship with a coach where you didn't have that ownership i think i could but i'm not sure i'd enjoy it as much right um and i, I always kind of believe like like even with some coaching stuff like you've got to work with an athlete. You can't just kind of describe a plan because you're not in that athlete's body. So you don't know like how they actually feel that day. You don't know what that pain is like and you don't know how fatigued they are and you don't know what other life stresses they've got going on. So an athlete's got to have a really good idea of all of those things and why they're doing certain training because they're the one who need to make the decision of, well, actually that foot pain is not really an ego, it's more an injury and I actually probably need to pull back a little bit or actually it's, it's just a niggle and it's a bit uncomfortable, but I'm just going to run through it and get on with the training and and do that. And I think kind of coaches as well as when you work with a coach for over 10 years, they can know you pretty well, but they're never going to be the one who can actually feel that feeling and know exactly what what is going on in the body.
0: Mm. Mark, you're going through a bit of a transition. You've got a new coach in Chris Jones. Um you could obviously talk about him a little bit and that relationship. And do you do you have a similar ownership like Phil on your on your program?
2: Yeah, um, it, it's not as collaborative as um, Phil Phil and Hendo are. Um, for me and Chris, it's just he he's known about my training for what I used to do um, over the past couple of years. We had a relationship when I was at Bauman, and and then moving forward when I was when I left the group when I was being supported by British Athletics. Um, he's seen my training for years he knows what i what i would do and what i'd um what would work well for me so he's tried to implement a lot of that stuff and just put his own personal touch on things as well um his science background a little bit which which is new to me which i'm open to exploring just to see my potential and our potential together um so it's short things like um maybe not doing quite the volume I used to do with Bauman on the morning, but throwing in, throwing in some, some more reps on an evening and things like that. Um, and at the minute it's, it's all, it's all new. This we're, we're a couple of weeks in. So, um, for me, I, I want Chris to take ownership and me to just knuckle down and get the training Mm -hmm. done and, and then see where we're at coming off this first race versus, um, having more input. Um, like, like I said, like Phil does. So, that's the way I'm going about things at the minute. And I think it will change as we, as we progress and build our relationship together.
0: It must be tough because obviously you've just had so much success, um, under Jerry involved in that Bama group. And is it, you know, was it hard to kind of trust someone to take over the reins? Um, is that why it took you a little while you had that transition period of, you know, 18 months or so?
2: Yeah, it, it was difficult. And I just, There was plenty of opportunities to join other coaches, but I just didn't feel they knew me well enough personally to actually administer the training, which I I like. Um, And that's where I felt the connection with Chris. Um, He knew what I've been up to, like like I just explained. And just with his his little sprinkle over the top, I feel like we can do some good stuff because I was in a system for so long which worked really well. Why would you change it all and and get rid of what um, we knew actually was working?
0: Mm. And at Baum you, you were used to basically just doing exactly what was on the plan, right? And you had some freedom on your easy easy mileage, but other than that, it was very regimented.
2: It was reg- regimented in in a sense where the workouts we knew what we were doing, which days they were coming. But um, Jerry never, never, ever set individual plans for us. Um, it was pretty standard based on seven minute mileing. So. The shortest run he'd want you to do is is a thirty five minute. Pass. The next one would be a, a fifty minute um for seven miles. Seven times seven forty nine, but you he always makes you round up, so you've got a fifty uh fifty there. And then a standard morning for us would be would be seventy minutes. Um, and that's pretty much what all the guys were on, and that's what you're wanting to see at the at the end of the week on on your mileage chart and your log. There is um your runs all all on time effort. Um just because that was that was his system and that's what we followed. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. Mark, you run 70 and 50 today as mm-hmm. as your double. It was you get any appropriate miles you think you want to do um on top of the workouts. And if if he's not happy with that, he he will comment at the end of the week and say you need to do a bit more or you might need to do a bit less, which was very rarely the case with him. Mm-hmm. Ah
0: uh, so you kind of figured out what what worked for you on those you know on those days in between sessions.
2: Exactly. There was the older guys in the group would be doing 70 50 in in those those double days and that just was that was just too much for me joining and why I did run into a couple of injuries thinking I can do 50 minutes and even and no problem but it was it was a it was a jump um in terms of what I was doing in college at Tulsa. So um yeah it's kind of you can manage it yourself um as well as you need to which is which was nice to have that freedom
0: Mm. and so periodization wise um you've got a little bit more time to your debut um do you have any races i think you've got a half a half coming up haven't you um and but but what does your you know feels very much in you know, almost a hard training block now into, until race day yourself is quite different. So how do you periodize the next kind of three months?
2: Yeah, exactly. We're, we're totally, we're totally different right now, just with, with um, where we're both at in terms of that block. So for me, even me and Phil were just chatting on the run this morning, we did a nice 10 miler. Um, and it, for me, um, there's no like big aggressive long running. It's for me, it's getting time on feet and, making sure my body's well adapted to running over two hours every weekend. Um, just so on race day that, that does feel easy. Obviously the pacing is going to be totally different. But, um, yeah. So as Phil mentioned, he's not a big racer in his blocks. Whereas I'm, I'm a different athlete in terms of that. I like to, to race and see where I'm at and make that pace feel, feel comfortable. So, um, starting out with a half marathon in Barcelona, coming out of this camp, um, and we are my training is more guided to 10k a half marathon right now because that's the goal is getting in as good shape as we can over the shorter distances and then that longer marathon distance the mileage and stuff once all that comes into effect um hopefully that pace does feel a lot easier mm-hmm. so yeah barcelona half marathon is is the next race coming up for me straight out of this altitude camp
0: that's interesting. Phil, would you would you kind of follow that same philosophy of, you know, when you're starting out early doors in a marathon block, it's focus on that long run, getting that up to the distance or, or the
1: equivalent time to what you're going to do on race day? I definitely start with like steadier paces. So probably in Ks, like 320, maybe 525 per mile kind of pace uh, for longer runs. But I'm doing these on like a really flat, Kind of cycle path so they're not as hard as they they would be kind of out on the roads and out on anything that's undulating or anything that's uneven underfoot and then I definitely kind of try and get pretty aggressive with those the closer I get to the marathon date, kind of six to kind of three weeks out they will get pretty quick and get a decent length on those um and just kind of stop working on kind of like a weekly structure just kind of training when you're ready to train and um and going with that uh and that's probably the way that yeah i'll periodize it i kind of don't really race as much just because like some of the sessions will be pretty meaty and mm-hmm. i feel like i can go and run kind of 64 minute half marathons down the cycle path in york and really kind of push those and, and maybe they'll be 25k or even 30ks at similar paces to that so that's the kind of way that we try and work it
0: that, it does seem to be a skill of yours. I've seen some of your runs on Strava, which I'm sure you got plenty of kudos for over the years. Is you can just produce some stellar workouts in training. Um, yes, you might have someone now on the bike, but you're still, you know, virtually on your own. Maybe you've got a couple of lads. How do you kind of put yourself in that mindset to get race effort out in
1: training? Uh, well, it's not a race effort, so it's not like all out, but True. it's still a fairly aggressive effort. Uh, I think generally it's, it's a really good place to run where I'm doing it and it's somewhere that I'm comfortable with. Um, I do optimize my training. So if mm. the weather's crap one day, then I'll, I'll push it back one day. or put it forward and do it that way. And I definitely get other people involved so that they can join in maybe for the first half or maybe even two thirds. If, if I've got someone really strong training with me and sometimes I'll train with a meal for those long runs and stuff and definitely having kind of a bike support there it helps with the nutrition side of things fueling um but also as a bit of a wind block and you can really kind of push those those runs there and that's where I kind of see myself kind of getting my fittest and putting my hardest work in and uh yeah some of those go on Strava and some of them stay hidden
0: oh <laughs> um yeah I mean Mark's, Mark's the same you two are both uh Big Strava following, but uh, some stuff does say stay hidden. Um, will you go, Mark? I mean, Phil. I think you went cold turkey before pre-Valencia. Um, I was going back through your twelve weeks, or maybe maybe you didn't, and it was up there, and then you and you delete it off. I don't know. But um, Mark, you were someone who was obviously very anti-Strava um, in your Jerry days. What's the transition like to uh, to being on Strava, and you know, putting your runs? Out? How did you? Did you just wake up one day and say, I, "I don't really care if people see what I'm up to these days"?
2: Yeah, I think because uh, it, it, I, I did used to put a little bit on there when I was with Bowman, but the the way we were running, it was never GPS, so we were always just time bits. We just had a, a Timex or Casio or something like that um, in those days. But I just wanted to, as I came back to the UK, I didn't know all the routes I was going on. I kind of I wanted to know how far they were undulation, things like that so that was kind of why I went on to Strava just to for me to be mindful um and at the same time to give people a little, little insight to what what I w- would be getting up to mm. um but yeah what you see is not always what you get because you go on my Strava the it's like the Pasconia mountains I think is the phrase that's <laughs> that's how mine is because I don't put everything on there and I think moving forward, it's going to stay that way. Um, just mm. some things I want to keep to myself. And if, mm. if I feel like sharing, then I'll do that as well.
0: Mm. I'm curious, as elite runners, how much time do you actually, and try to be honest here, do you spend on Strava looking at other elite runners, um, you know, training like you guys, maybe rivals?
1: Uh, hours. Hours, three hours. A <laughs> of the time. Like, more than you would want to know. <laughs> uh, but I, I see Shara as like a bit of a synergistic thing. So I feel like like gain from it. I go on and I get training ideas. I see what other people are doing. Uh, I see roots and I gain from that. So I, I do feel like I like sharing, but I also feel like kind of a slight little duty to kind of like whatever I'm gaining from it, then I should also be sharing some of my stuff and allowing other people to kind of see... What I'm doing and and see the routes that I'm running and leads and if yeah yeah that's that's kind of what I like doing it that way as well.
0: And Mark, do you do you want to fess up the amount of hours you spend uh, scrutinising people's training on Strava as well?
2: <laughs> yeah, I know I'm I'm not that big into Strava for myself as I am for mm-hmm. other people. Um, the main the main reason for Strava for me is because I have a small coaching platform myself and. Mm. That is where I track my my athletes. Um, so that that's how we do things. And most of my time, three quarters at least, of my time spent on Strava is for that purpose, um, seeing what my athletes are up to and and yeah, just how how they're doing. So I can they can report back, and I can I've seen all what they're doing and stuff. So it, it's not hours like Phil. Um, I'm not that big into it, and I I kind of never have been, and I still am. Um, so. Mm. I understand why people do it and like the reason, the reasons Phil's doing it. Um, so even it can help yeah, roots up there the pretty easily. Re- so.
1: Yeah. Just be patient. He'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: uh, I I agree. The more, the more months that go by, the more moons that go by, you just find yourself loading up the app more and more and more. Um, Mark, just quickly before we finish up, actually, Um What's it like, you you know, you do have a small coaching platform yourself, you do work with a few athletes, um, and you have worked with some very good athletes in the past as well. What's it like, I always look at that relationship being, you know, a high class elite athlete like you are, how do you kind of set training for those who who might be more entry level in the sport getting into running, you know, they're, you know, knocking around a 20 minute 5k mark, you know, something like that because your expectations and your experience in this sport is is quite a lot different different to theirs
2: it is a lot different um but i think that's what they like they like mm-hmm. knowing what i'm setting is the right thing and i i wish and i hope to believe that it is um it's all personalized and bespoke to the individual so um yeah i feel like they take a lot of confidence in me setting a plan knowing it's going to get them to their goals um and I, I use a lot of what I've done in the past with my athletes mm. knowing that knowing that it works and um that they, they have lofty goals as well as I once did and obviously things are scaled down a lot, but um I think there's a there's a good solution there which um which they can they can take a lot from knowing knowing what I've done in the past and I feel like once they've got that plan they they'll stick stick by it as, as well as they can as well to to reach their goals.
0: Mm. But coaching the everyday runner is, is a strange one, isn't it? Because in, in like brutal terms, running is not flashy. And, you, you know, how do you break the word to them? You know, the more you do, because your Bahama training, for example, your, both of your training right now is, is just quite boring. It's getting out the door, getting some mileage on foot. Um, how do you kind of jazz, jazz that up in a way that, you know, inspires them and, you know, gets them out the door? Because it must be quite difficult.
1: Yeah, I just don't think you need to. I think be honest with them. And mm. I think people prefer that. And they get more into the training the longer they've been doing it. And the more into the sport that they get into it, they start to understand that it is just put the work in over months and months and years and years. And they start to enjoy that side of things rather than just the kind of enter 10 races in the first six months that you start working with mm. someone and every couple of weeks there's something new that shiny that they want to look at and go for. And then after a few months and, and maybe a year of working together, they start to kind of realize okay, I'm gonna get the results that I want if I really just kind of knuckle down and just do the, the boring stuff. Um and so that's that's what kind of people start like doing and yeah I think as a as a coach like you want to set Good sessions, and you want to set really specific training, but also you just need to be there in a supportive role, and that's how you help people kind of navigate what they've got going on in the rest of their lives with their training, and and allow them to kind of build every month and and over years, kind of thing with their with their performances.
0: Mm, That's a strong take, Mark. Is that what you were going to say?
2: Yeah, it is. um, I think because like even Phil's got a lot of knowledge because he he's got his own little platform as well, which is, um, it's good. We've talked about that together a little bit here on cam, just, uh, how we approach things with, with our athletes. Um, cause a lot of them have, have a common goal of running, running faster. marathon. But that is what it, like I said, it, it's not necessarily just a coach. It's someone there who's supporting you and, and really naturally would, would believe in you with everything you tell them. So, um, it is making sure they're committed and, and getting out the door running, um, just maybe a little bit more than than they're used to doing, and that that can really go a long way. Mm.
0: All right, gents, that's uh, that's a nice place to finish up. There are a few things we didn't get through this week, so we can save them for week two. As we said, we've got a good few episodes ahead of us. So I'll let you boys get back to training Um, or get back to napping. Um, I think it's getting on to the afternoon uh, over in Kenya. But yes, thank you for tuning in, everybody. And we will catch you
1: same time next week. Nice one. Thank you.
2: Enjoyed it.